Good morning, brothers and sisters. We're going to start the class on church planting and fundamentalism. And I'd like to invite you to come towards the uh, expensive seats toward the front, if you don't mind. This is be more like a like a lecture, not a not a sermon. It'll be more a lecture discussion with you. If you'd like to make your way towards the front here, this, these uh, expensive seats toward the front, we'd love to have you here. I can see the white of your eyes. You can see the white of my eyes as well. Uh, we have some outlines that we're passing out. If you don't have an outline, raise your hand, and uh, our men will get an outline to you. We'll, we will not be using the overhead. We'll be using the outline to help you move through the whole discussion on church planting and biblical fundamentalism. It's a very important topic and a one that's very dear to my heart. Let's open in prayer and then we'll get our discussion going. Just raise your hand if you need an outline. Let's go ahead and pass the outlines out. I'd like to invite the folks in the fringes to come towards the middle here and we can then have a wonderful discussion together on the topic of church planting and fundamentalism. Let's pray together. Our Lord, thank you so much for giving us this wonderful convention. We thank you for all the topics that are being discussed, and we pray for the seminars for this hour that you would bless uh, all of us as we share together and grow in our desire to be more effective in preaching the Word of God. We want to thank you for saving us from our sins and for making us part of the body of Christ and also making us a part of this great association of churches. Bless our time now. May we benefit from it. But we ask it now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, our topic is talking about church planting and fundamentalism. And our aim for this hour is to see how church planting can affect the spread of fundamentalism, not just the spread of the gospel, but focusing specifically in the spread of fundamentalism. That is our theme for the convention. As you know, we, um, we are living in some very difficult times in America. I'm talking about America, not necessarily the world, world as a whole as well. But we're going through times of great apostasy across the land. The um, Number of Christians across the land is not increasing. Number of churches are not increasing. And so we are alarmed by the apostasy taking place. We're also seeing a major decline, decline in our, in our churches across America. And if we're uh, honest with the IFCA, we're seeing that affecting our own regionals. We're from the Southern California regional. Uh, we have not grown. Matter of fact, we have declined the number of churches that are representative in the Southern California Regional. We know that across America, IFCA, certain regioners have closed. And so we've seen that as a bright uh, red, uh, red light on the dashboard of our assessment of our movement. And so we, um, <clears throat> we also are impressed with the uh, number of immigrants coming into our land, both legal and illegal. And these are nations that are coming to us. And these nations are nations that need to be reached. The, the great question that we're always wrestling with is, what do we do about it? Well, the main thing we need to do about it is, is bring them to Christ. That's the main thing. And uh, they need to be part, part of our effort to share Christ with them. We also see a, 
across, across our land, the, a lack uh, and the dearth of church planters. One of the missing ingredients in our associations is men and couples committed to the specific task of planting churches. Not just pastoring, but actually with a focus of going to new areas and starting brand new churches. We don't see that taking place. Many of our, many of our, if not most of our seminaries do not have a class on church planting and producing church planters. So most of our seminaries are not producing church planters. I know that I spent 20 years at the Master's Seminary and we started a class and program on, on church planting. We got that going. Well, since I've been gone, they've, they've dismissed the whole program. So the whole class is gone. So we're back to square one. And so that is something that we need to be always thinking about is the fact that we need to be producing church planters, not just for the mission field, but also for America and for our regionals and for our association. I'm also alarmed with the, sometimes the lack of purpose as we do get involved in church planting. Are we purposefully endeavoring to plant not just churches, but fundamental churches, those that reflect our particular doctrine? Protect our, uh, reflect our particular uh, doctrines that we believe, that we hold to, and that we are, in essence, fighting for. And we'll be talking about that specifically in this seminar. We're also alarmed, I'm alarmed by what I call the Walmart effect. You know Walmart. Walmart will plant a, uh, plant a major store in your area and launch it overnight, a huge warehouse that has everything in it, from food and clothing to kids, it's for sale, you know, everything's there, and you can pick them up. But in doing that, the Walmart effect, it sucks up all the little mom-and-pop stores in the area, those that service our communities, those that have been around for centuries, that, that are in touch with the local people. A Walmart will suck up all these little, church, little stores and close them up. Well, some of these major church plants that are done by organizations they had the Walmart effect. They'll plant a mega church in your area and suck up all the small churches. These churches of 50 to 75 people where the man's been working out there for 20, 25, 30 years trying to build a church and then overnight all his people are gone. They join the mega church down the street and then we close it up. And the end result is that the, the gospel is not advanced as it should be because most of the mega church are not committed to sound, fundamental doctrine, or even practice. So when it's all said and done, we have uh, gone backwards instead of going forward in the cause of Christ. Now, it doesn't always happen this way, but the majority of times, that's what you have. So we'd like to then, for a few moments to today, talk about the uh, issue of church planting and fundamentalism. We'll uh, cover four major areas. In your notes, you'll notice we'll have four major areas. We'll talk about First of all, the reason, reason for church planting, identify the theology behind that. And then secondly, <clears throat> some of the agents essential for church planting and fundamentalism. And then thirdly, uh, identify the process. This is more a discussion on the whole uh, aspect of what is a church plant. And then finally, focus and specifically on a, the particular focus on the self-governing process that really has to do with the theme of our seminar this, uh, this morning. Church planting. 
uh, reasons for it. Our church, uh, First Fundamental Wobble Church, is not a church plant. I'm the third pastor of our church, came in 1972. And so the, Dr. Vargas mentioned the man that started our ministry. And then uh, we went through a second pastor that, in essence, split the church. And then we came, as I said, the third pastor to try to rebuild it again. We had 40 people that uh, were there when we arrived. We had... uh, I think 20-something people voted. I think 27 or 28 voted, 27 for and one against. And she stayed, so the Lord punished her for voting no (laughs) over the process. But we uh, we began to grow. We multiplied, multiplied, almost doubled every six months as God gave us an opportunity to reach people for Christ. And uh, we began to double, double, and then we began to lose... um, uh, lose space. We had to do things, had to do things that broke the um, church growth uh, mold of how to do things. But we all immediately realized the necessity of not only uh, launching other ministries, but also church planting. So we got involved in that right away. And over the last uh, 50 years, we've had a chance to plant 15, 16 different, uh, different churches in the Southern California area, and then launch also a church planting effort in in Mexico, in Baja California, they're close to Mexicali. So this has been part of our DNA almost from day one, the whole thought of planting churches. And I'd like to uh, have a, uh, share that with you and also uh, excite you in this great, great endeavor of being involved in the planting of churches. You don't need to have a lot of money, nor do you need to be a major or mega church to be involved in this wonderful, wonderful act of planting churches. Any one of us could do it. But let's talk about the reasons for it. Why, why plant churches? There are five major reasons. Number one, and most important, is to accomplish the Great Commission. The Great Commission. We, um, most of us already know by heart the Great Commission given to us in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20, that sets the, sets the pace and the text for this entire seminar. Our Lord, uh, his final words to the disciples were the following. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Five times that commission is given, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts. Acts, you'll receive power. After the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and the remotest parts of the earth. Book of Acts follows that outline, follows the spread of the gospel. It's like dropping a a pebble in this great pond of people. And then the gospel started in Jerusalem, and and then the wave spread to Judea, and then it went to Samaria by the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, and then we are... And by the 11th and 12th chapter and chapter 13 over in Antioch. And then it ends with the remotest parts of the earth, chapter 28, to be continued. And we are here continuing the book of Acts, okay? And so this is, so the primary reason, we, we need to identify a primary reason for the planting of churches is obviously to fulfill the Great Commission, the Great Commission. Evangelism and church planting take place. 
It takes place. How do you gauge effective evangelism? By the planting of churches. I'm going to repeat that. How do you, how do you gauge effective evangelism? It's by the planting of churches. If there is no planting of churches, there is no what? Talk to me now. Effective evangelism. We, we need to always identify that because sometimes we'll, 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 we're going to talk about our missionaries and, and evangelists that come to town and those that do the circuit and preach the gospel supposedly. But if the result of all their efforts is not churches being planted, then it is not effective evangelism. We see Jerusalem, the church planted there. We see Antioch. We see the Apostle Paul going and doing respective missionary journeys. And each of, these, each of those are gauged by their effectiveness by leaving churches behind. Every journey was a result of effective churches. When Paul went to Athens and he preached in Athens, was he effective in reaching Athens for Christ? Yes or no? Yes or no? Was there a church left in Athens? No. There was no church in Athens. So he preached the, he preached the message and he gave one of the greatest sermons ever. It was not an effective, an effective effort because there was no church that left, left in Athens. He went, he went across the sea to Corinth. Was he effective in Corinth? He was because he left the church in Corinth. You see, you gauge, you gauge this, this effort in evangelism by the planting of churches. It's not just nickels and noses. Are we leaving behind a congregation, established congregation? The most effective way to reach the world for Christ is by the planting of churches. Now you say it. It's by the planting of churches. And we need to mark that one down. So the, the first and foremost reason for the planting of churches is for accomplishing the Great Commission. We need to put that at the beginning because sometimes in our discussion of planting churches, it's not the reason for it. It's not the reason for it. And it shouldn't be simply to have a fundamental church. We should be planting churches just to have a fundamental church. That is not the primary reason. The primary reason is to win people to Christ, to accomplish the Great Commission. And so it's to be done locally in our Jerusalem. It should be done, uh, it should be done in, in, in a national way to reach our nations, our, our sections, our areas. It should be done globally to reach the world for Christ. So church planting then is to be done on all, <clears throat> all three levels, locally and then nationally and then internationally around the world. We look at our own city, our own city. I mean, we're from Southern California. You know what that's like. You, you, if you haven't been there, uh, you don't want to go there, okay? But we have a, a great, a needy, a needy, needy state. We're from Southern California. L.A. is our, our city, and we are, we are majorly unchurched. Millions of people in our city is unchurched. It needs Christ. By the way, our nation is unchurched. Our nation, U.S. of America, is unchurched. Now, we have some pockets that have, you know, the concentration of a lot of churches. They exist in, in America, but for the most part, America is unchurched. If you were to take all the people that, that live in a city, put them in the existing buildings, 
you, you would have just a, fall, a small segment of, of America in churches of all types. So we need to understand that America, for the most part, is unchurched. And so realize that we need to be involved in the planting of churches. And that means that every one of us, I'd like to just put this out, that every, if you're a pastor of a church, part of your agenda as a, as a church is to be involved in some way in the planting of churches, either locally or nationally or internationally. But have a specific objective of that your church is involved in the direct process of planting a church among unsaved people to want to lead them to Christ. We need to, uh, <clears throat> we need to check our, our missions program, our missions program, because sometimes we're involved in missions. But when you identify all the different missionaries you're supporting, are we supporting missionaries that are directly involved in the planting of churches, either internationally or nationally? Or are we, support, or are we just supporting missionaries that are involved in simply support ministries, in support ministries? Huh? I'm not against support ministries, but in the, in the whole spectrum of missions, reaching the lost, it should be first. And we should have then a, a certain percentage of our effort and money set aside for the direct ministry of planting churches, either locally or nationally or around the world. If that's not being done, then in many ways we are, we are not ministering according to Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. And uh, as we get involved in, in missions, we always have this tension uh, concerning the whole issue of being involved in missions. So number one is to, it's to reach, accomplish the Great Commission. Number two, notice the second reason for planting churches is to provide every Christian with a healthy church. To provide every Christian with a healthy church. That's, that's, that's toward the top. And teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That's, the, that's part of the Great Commission, to get everybody involved in a, in a healthy ministry. This is shepherding what I call the unchurched. Our, our people are always moving. Americans are always on the move, always on the move. Uh, we're all moving, moving all the time, all the time. And, and so we need to be thinking about the unchurched. These are believers that have gone from here to there. We have all across America the, the rise of the, of the new communities, the suburbs, or the new areas that are being started. And that means that these areas need churches. Whenever there's a, a demographic movement of people from one area to another, it means that we as, we as believers, we as churchmen, should be thinking about these areas and always endeavoring to plant churches in brand new communities. And so we're looking at that. And always then having the pulse. We in, in, in L.A., for example, there we have these concentric circles of people going to the center of L.A. and then moving east or moving north for cheaper housing or better housing. And so they're always on the move. And so if you look at our church planting schedule, we start here and then we follow the people to make sure that wherever they move to a new house, we follow by planting a church in their direction. And that is part of the whole process to make sure that everybody has a church that they can attend. R Romans 16 is an interesting chapter because Romans 16 is Paul writing to the Romans. And Paul has never been in Rome. He's never been in Rome. But he knows all these people. 
and greet so-and-so, and greet so-and-so, and greet Pepe, and greet Pablo, and greet, you know, all these other people. He saw these, greet all these. He'd never been there. But there's a church in Rome, a church in Rome thriving. And there's people that go to Rome that find a church that they can attend. And so part of us is to be thinking about that. I was looking at the, the, the Mormon church and how they operate. And it's amazing. Whenever there's a brand new area being started, they go ahead and buy the land first. They buy the land first. They've already planned it into their schedule. You buy the land because the homes will come. And once the homes will come, we'll have a Mormon church there. And so they are way ahead of the game. We need to be thinking along those lines as well. So provide for people a healthy church. We also have the whole issue of changing demographics. We're always shifting in our demographics. We have a little saying in L.A. We have, uh, we have white flight. Hmm? We have white flight. The blacks move in, the whites move out. Then we have brown frown. The browns move in, the blacks move out. Then we have yellow mellow. You know, the Asians move in, the browns move out. You follow what I'm saying? You know, we, we're not always mixing well. We're mixing well. Well, part of the challenge is we're not, we're, it's, flight is not the option. Church planting is the option. Yes or no? To plant the churches for these changing communities. So when when the, when the folks move in, when the immigrant population moves in, win them to Christ and start a church. <clears throat> and, and the most effective way is to start a homogeneous church, not a heterogeneous church. Homogeneous means church in their language, according to their culture, and the way they do things. That's what it means by a homogeneous church. Uh, eventually, eventually, we will become hetero, okay? We will become heterogeneous, you know, like we are in some ways, you know, in this convention. But initially, these folks come with their, with their first language and their customs, and they worship God in their own language and their own way of doing things. And so provide churches for them. It's an amazing thing that the average, average church... Every First Baptist church of whatever, First Bible church of whatever, is utilized maybe two or three times a week, maybe 10 hours a week, and the building lays empty for the rest of the week. An amazing statement, which means that every one of our churches can be utilized to house and plant an indigenous church from an immigrant population. Did, did you get that? We can do that. You can plant a church within a church. Plant a church within a church. And it's an amazing... So we can do that. We had a, we had a black church in, uh, black church in, uh, in, in Compton. <clears throat> and the, uh, the guy called and he says, you know, Pastor, uh, Pastor Montoya, I need to talk to you. Our deacons are having a fit. This is a black church. They, they have these, these kids come off the street and they're graffitiing the whole wall. For some reason, Hispanics like to do. They like to put their addresses on the wall. And so they were, they said they're greeted, they're graffiti the whole wall. They want to put a fence around the, around the property. But we think we need to do something else. We think we need to win them to Christ. Would you help us? So I went to, I went to see them, and we walked to this huge facility. 
He says, this building's open. Whatever you want to do with it. We've got an auditorium. We have these classes. Whatever you want to do, if you can help us with it. This is the black church now. African-American, 100% African-American in a changing community. And open up the facility, and we had a chance to start a Spanish-speaking church in that facility. For the, that was their contribution. That was their contribution. We had an Asian, an Asian church, Japanese-American church, Asian, that was raised in East L.A. Back in the 20s, the Japanese population was, was huge in East L.A. And then we had the Hispanics move in. And then before you know it, it was a changing community. It was a Japanese-speaking church in a Hispanic community. And then they, 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 they wanted to sell the facility and get rid of it, and, then move, and they were going to move. So I sat down with them, and I said, you know, we, we, want, to plan a, we want to buy this facility to put a church in here, and, uh, but we can't afford what you're asking for. it." And so a long story short, we were able to make them an offer that was way, way less than it was, in their membership meeting, they voted on it, and that was their contribution to the Hispanic community for them to then sell us a property in a way that we could afford it. The day we moved in, when escrow closed, the day they moved in, they came and they put brand new carpet and brand new drapes in the whole auditorium as a goodbye gift to us. That was their contribution. Now think about your ministry and the other immigrant groups in your town. How can you provide a church for these type of people? Some are believers. They just need a place to meet, a place to house. And so we provide a a healthy church. Number three, preserve orthodoxy. Preserve orthodoxy of the church. There are towns where basically the whole town is apostasy. There are areas where the whole area is just abandoned. Oh, there's churches there, but there's no truth. Modernism has blown, has burned its way through and, and destroyed everything. Culture there, etc. And there's a need for a sound, sound Bible-believing church there. A church that is basically fundamentalist in doctrine. That is not a modernist, that is not cultic. It's not toxic like we heard about last night. One that really has sound, sound theology. That calls for church planting. My hometown, my hometown of Calexico was like that. When I came to Christ, I came to Christ in a a 98% Roman Catholic town. And there were Mormons there. There were some Pentecostals there. And and, and, and so it's a fledgling, fledgling American Baptist. Well, you could probably not call it fundamentalist. And my, our desire was for my wife and I to go back there and pastor there. But God didn't, that was not God's plan. So plan A that we could not go was plan B. Plan B is to go back and plant a church in our town of Calexico. And we did that. We sent uh, a couple of pastors. Eventually, Pastor Rene Gonzalez became the pastor of our church in Calexico. And it became a very sound Bible-believing. It's an IFC church there in Calexico for the glory of God. And so we look, at, we look at cities. Now, if a city already has a Bible-believing fundamentalist church, we can hopscotch over that. We can go someplace else and find another city that doesn't have one and make that the focus of our church planting effort. We might even um, be involved in reforming some of these churches that are wavering in their theology 
and help them with that, with that process. Notice number four, number four, reasons to plant a church. We want to create more effective churches, more effective churches. Sometimes we have churches that are out there that are basically ineffective, ineffective. They are apathetic. They have no zeal for souls, no zeal for truth. They're simply existing. And that marks, you know, marks a lot of churches across the land. They're just there. They're just there. And they need to be revitalized. So the way to revitalize the church is to take church planting principles into the church. That's the way to revitalize it. Take the church planting principles into the church and utilize them to revitalize the church. Because you're going back to square one. Going back to the, to the, to the, uh, the, the primary principles of ministry. And that's what we need to do. Oftentimes we also have dysfunctional, dysfunctional churches. There are, they're functioning, but they're highly toxic or highly dysfunctional. And oftentimes they've abandoned, abandoned biblical truth. If not orthodoxy, sometimes they, they abandon orthopraxy. Now, uh, brothers and sisters, there are some churches that are what I call pastor killers. Pastor killers. In other words, we take our young men from seminaries, recently grads, and then we send them to these churches. And these churches chew them up and spit them out. And these guys last like two or three or four years, and then they quit the ministry, and they're done. Because they're, they're really chewed out. Identify a toxic church. We have them in the IFCA. Put a set of skulls and crossbones in front of, of there. Uh, and Richard Vargas, when you sent out the uh, directory, put skull bones and crossbones after these churches because they're pastor killers. They're highly dysfunctional. They have people in them control the boards, and they are the ones that are going to chew up. What they need is an old veteran-type pastor who's been around the block, who lands with a knife in his mouth and, uh, and bullets, bullets on both sides, and he's there to do business. That's what they need <laughs> to, clear, to clean up the joint and get things right. But we need to be thinking of revitalizing and making them more effective. There's also those that are dying. We have churches that are dying, slowly, slowly dying. And forgive me for being so blunt. Sometimes they attend our convention. They're here. You're killing your church, but you won't admit it. You're going to kill it. Eventually, it'll die and then you'll sell the facility to some, some Mormon or some Islamic temple and take the money and then run. And that is pathetic. We need to revitalize that church. You need to get some help. You need to either find a transition and, and get someone to come in to help you or find a, a sister church to come in and help you get that thing revitalized and make it what it needs to be. Uh, otherwise, it'll... It'll eventually die, and then we'll have to start from scratch all over again. And that is much more difficult to do. And so we need to be able to do that, able to do that so that uh, we can. Dr. Vargas, Dr. Vargas, uh, he was a pastor of uh, Grace, Grace Bible Church in Wilmington. Well, way long before him came, he came, the pastor of that church gave me a call and I said, you know, Montoya, we are here in Wilmington, we're in an Anglo church, we were to be here for a long time, but we're losing, we're declining. This is a Hispanic community. We're going to die. Can you help us? Can you help us? Well, we did. We said, yeah, we'll help you. 
will assume everything, will assume all the responsibility, will provide uh, leadership for you, will care for you, will take the facility and will work it and will get it restarted again. And so we did that. We did that. That became our, uh, because we wanted to see that work continue. And so long story short, eventually we called Pastor Vargas and his wife Wendy. They went there and took that church, revitalized it. It grew, became a uh, a beacon light for the glory of God. I mean, they were so effective that when he, he took the position of director, they were without a pastor for a number of years. And their laymen, their elders and deacons were so well taught, they just carried on the work. They didn't skip a beat until they found their next pastor. You need to be open to doing that. And if you're here and you're part of a dying church, don't be afraid to call for help. We want to help. We want to get you where you need to be. We want to revitalize the, to make it more effective. Notice number five. Another reason why we want to, we like to start churches is to provide a more efficient means of outreach. Church planting is a more efficient means of outreach. The larger you grow as a church, follow me, the larger you grow as a church, it takes more money per member to keep the church alive. It takes more money per member to keep the church alive. The smaller the church is, the less money per member it takes to keep the church going. So just because we become bigger doesn't always mean we become more efficient in accomplishing the Great Commission. I'm not talking about just simply doing ministry and ministering to Christians. I'm talking about accomplishing the Great Commission. Dollars per baptism. Dollars per new convert. That's what I'm talking about. And so we need to be looking at church planting as a more efficient means of accomplishing the Great Commission. So, I'd like to suggest the following, just for us to think about. Plant churches instead of expansion. Instead of investing in larger buildings, larger auditoriums, why not just plant a new church? Does that make sense to you? Because sometimes we're in that. I'm all for having multiple services. Multiple services. Your auditorium may sit 150 people. You max out at 100 and 150, 160 on a given Sunday, you're maxed out, and now you're under pressure. What do we do? Do we rebuild? Rebuild your facilities, and it costs you another million dollars to build, to re, to build a, a, an auditorium of 300 to 500 people. That's if you live out here someplace. If you live in L.A., it's going to cost you $3 million to do that if you can get the permits. So, we're, so I, I'm all for duplicate services, multiple services. You can, you, can, you can have 300 people in the same facility if you have two services. You have three services, you can have as many as 450 in the same facility. And that's doable. Doable because we did it. I did it. And it's doable. You can have multiple services and get more juice out of that same house. Okay? And, and, and have more, more bang for your buck. So think, think along that line. Pastor Beta's here. Pastor Beta's back there. We were, we were running... 350 people, 500 people, almost, almost 700 people in our Monterey Park facility. We're, we're maxed out. And we feel what's the next phase would have been a $3 million phase. <laughs> no, we're a Hispanic church. No, no one has that kind of money where I come from. So I figured, well, why don't we just plant a church? And a church came up in La Puente. Baptist Church was relocating to another place. Again, Brown Frown, moving out and leaving the Brown community. Put the building up for sale. $800,000, I think it was. $800,000 what they wanted. 
Well, we said, yeah, let's go ahead and buy it. So we arranged to buy the facility and then overnight split the church. Overnight, we sent 200 people from one side to the next, fully staffed, a pastor, a deacon board, and a Sunday school, and a Wana ministry, all set from one day to the next. We had a church with a brand new facility. It cost us money, absolutely. But it gave us a chance for them to grow there and for us to grow there without having to spend millions. We only spent, and we just put the down payment for them. We just gave the down payment, and they paid the rest of it, okay? That's just to be fair to them and to us. But the whole idea is, why not do that instead? Why not think about ways that we can be more? So instead of thinking about building a larger facility, why not think about simply planting another church? Also notice that sometimes we're looking into multiple sites. Remember the multiple site thing? Uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's not the way to go. Multiple sites will end when they, when they stop having multiple sites. They're not churches. They're multiple sites. They're run by the mother church. They're simply little extensions. And they're the first to go if something happens to the mother church. I would recommend starting churches instead of multiple sites. With their own pastor, their own opportunity to do ministry. I'd, uh, I'd also encourage us to, to think about church planting versus self-interest. Because here's what happens. Here's pastor so-and-so, and you're growing, and so you want to add more staff. So you add more staff. You add a youth pastor, right? You add a worship pastor. So now you have two through or three on staff. Same people, same 300 people with 300 on staff. Two or three on staff with 300 people. You're adding staff. Why not think about, instead of adding, adding staff for yourself, to add a church planter? And then start a church and let that be your staff person and support them as long as it takes for them to get the church planted. So we're investing in church planting and not investing in simply additional staff. Our, our particular church, we have uh, one of our elders here, Ernie Morelos, elder here, and our associate pastor, Miguel Anaya, is someplace in the campus here. There's only three of us on staff. I'm the senior pastor, Hispanic pastor, and and then a visitation pastor, and that's all we have, besides our full-time secretary that runs the office. That's it. The rest of the funds are invested in planting churches. We, we go in that direction instead. We want to go there and put our money in starting brand new churches. Is it, is it tough for us? It was at first. But now it's rather easy because we're accustomed to being a, a lay-run ministry. Our church is entirely lay-run. Everything is lay-run by by, by lay people, and so we're able to do that. But I'd like to just drop that into your hat. You're thinking about instead of adding another staff person to handle the youth, why not add a church planter to start a ministry someplace else close to home or another church down the, the next city, etc. Let that be your ministry. So notice now, there, there are more than, more than one reason to plant a church in America. We're, we're, we're 2,000 years from, from Jerusalem. The church has evolved, it's grown, we have issues. And so we then can stand back and say, you know, there are all these reasons why we should be involved in planting other churches and be involved in helping others, you know, get right, revitalized and, and grow. So I lay that out to you because we, this is part of the great panorama 
of planting churches. Notice number two, the second major uh, observation this morning as we think about church planting and fundamentalism. If we're going to plant fundamentalistic churches, then it, it means that the agents involved in planting churches need to also be fundamentalists because like breeds what? Like. Like breeds like. You cannot have a modernist planting a fundamental church or vice versa. You can't have a fundamentalist planting a modernistic church. It's like breeds like. And we don't always think about that in planting churches. We just want to get it started, get it done, and anything's viable. It isn't. If we're going to plant churches with purpose, then we need to have these agents in place. Number one, we are thinking about a fundamentalist sending institution. The, the institution involved in starting the ministry needs to be, at its core, a, f- a fundamental ministry. Uh, it's the local church. We're looking at a local church that is a fundamental church. We're looking at a mission board, a mission board that is fundamental. Not all mission boards are, have, have the doctrine at, at their core. Now, we have. I mean, we have them here. They're all scattered all in the back. These are agents that are committed to being fundamentalists, and they are at the core. When we think of our church planting ministry, we have SGA. We're focused on SGA planting churches in Russia. That is our, that is our mission board. We're looking at, uh, at um, uh, uh, ABWE as one of our, our missionary uh, on the mission field. A very solid, solid group. BMW is the other mission board that we, we, we have working with us in planting churches in other parts of the world. And, and then we have our own Bible church mission here in California, both northern and southern California. In other words, we're looking at, at the mission agency being a hardcore fundamentalist agency. And we don't want, we don't want to jeopardize, jeopardize. Uh, if you're an investor investor. You're going with Charles Schwab or Vanguard. You're going with a reputable organization that's going to take your money and do something with it, not some thing off the wall, you know, trying to take your money under new venture. And so we're looking at a established, established. Then you're looking at a college and seminary that's going to provide and be part of the equation. Pick a school that is going to be at its core fundamental in its theology. Number two, we're looking at a fundamentalist church planter, because not all church planters are fundamentalists. They're not. Some of the, some of, in Southern California, one of the greatest, greatest training schools for church planters is, guess what? What's the greatest Southern California school that's, plant, that's training church planters? Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary. Would you ever go to Fuller Seminary? Would you send your mother to Fuller Seminary? <laughs> they have, they have the, they, you can go to Fuller Seminary on a full scholarship and be trained. But it's not a fundamentalist school. You're going to come out totally tweaked theologically. You'll be kind of casting out demons. And deacons too, you know what I'm saying? You'll be all doing everything else in the process. So the issue is that you're going to be thinking about, 
a, a pastor who's going to be a, a truly fundamentalist pastor who at heart, at his heart, is going to bleed, bleed Scripture. He's going to bleed starting with Scripture and planting churches that are scriptural. And so it's, it needs to be. And let me also make just a brief observation. Not every, not every seminarian, not every person that, that's out there is, is trained to be a church planter. Follow me now. A church planter is a cut above a church pastor. A church planter is a cut above the church pastor. If a man cannot make it as a pastor, he'll never make it as a church planter. You say it. Because we commit that mistake. We didn't make it as a pastor. He came into us to be a church planner. Wow. And we get, it, we get him cheaper than we get a pastor. So we're going to go with him. You're going to waste your money. Because it'd be a cut above. So you can be a pastor of a church and settle in and do expository preaching and never lead a soul to Christ. Never lead a soul to Christ and do that for five years and your church will still stay steady. So you take a church planter that goes out and never leads a soul to Christ and the church will never get off the ground. He's got to lead a soul to Christ at least one a month, one family a month, paid full time to do that. Any church planter can do that. Uh, so, so understand that, that not anybody can be a church planter. There are certain things that are, need to be in place for this man to really be the man to send out. And usually, usually he's not always going to be a great expositor. That he'll be a great organizer and a great soul winner and a great communicator and a great disciple maker. I say that simply as introduction to this next point, you know, the fact that we need to get a, a pastor that's really a, a fundamentalist at heart. So he's one that's trained in a fundamentalist college or seminary, one that's going to be bred, bred and, and taught in, 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 in the doctrines that he's going to be communicating. He's also, he's also a man that in, that's going to intern and that attends a fundamentalist church. You know, we have a phenomena. Oftentimes, we find them in our regionals, or we have a regional where there's maybe 10, 10 small churches, IFCA churches, and then we got the prospective church planter, but he, he attends the other secret church down the street that's running 5,000. That's where he goes. Well, what, so what did he tell you? What did he tell you? He tell you that his thinking is there and not here. I thank God that when I was training for ministry, I was placed in a fundamentalist church, my wife and I were, and it was a small church. It was a church plant, to be exact, of 30 people. And they had us doing everything. I mean, I was a song leader. I showed up and I was a song leader. What do I know about leading songs, you know? And they, you know, leading hymns. And, and that's... I started leading songs. And they, then they put me in charge of teaching the adult seniors class. You know, I wasn't even married. And then we got married and I was still, you know, 20, 26 years, 20, 20, 20, 22 years old, getting married. And, and then was, but that's, that's where I cut my teeth. And I learned to do everything, everything. This is the advantage of having these church planters involved in smaller churches because they do everything. You know, they, they end up, sometimes the only, the, your first baptism is, is your first convert when you start your church and you drown the first convert in your <laughs> baptismal tank because you have never done it before. 
So the advantage is to place these men in IFCA churches interning and getting experience big time for the glory of God. Again, one of the greatest things that Pastor Vargas ever did was pastor at Grace Baptist Church of Wilmington because he did everything. He learned how to be a great churchman. And we thank God for that because now he's leading churches. And so, again, we want to find one that, that attends and interns. And then that's, that's by conviction a, a fundamentalist. By conviction. There's a sense where sometimes men need jobs. Seminarians need jobs. And they'll take any job that's out there. And so they're not necessarily fundamentalists by convictions. They, they, need, they need things. And so we're looking at a man for a man that truly deep down in his heart is fundamentalist. And notice number three, third thing to be in place here when we think about these areas, is to find a field that's void of fundamentalism. Find a field that is void of fundamentalism. First of all, they're void of the gospel, that there really is no gospel church. Again, Romans 15. Remember Romans 15? Paul, writing to the Romans, says, you know what? I, I'm done here. I fully preached the gospel up here in Illyricum, and so I'm, I'm, we're leaving here, and I'd like to pass by you and be sent by you to Spain. Remember that? Because I don't want to build upon, finish it, another man's foundation. I don't want to go where there's already a fundamental church. I want to go where there's nothing else there. And so he says, you want to go to a place where there are, there are no churches. There are no, there's nothing going on there. An, an unchurched, unreached area. That's number one. Number one. Because here, here is our temptation. Uh, I'd like to plant a church that's close to my, to my mother-in-law. So my, my wife can have someone that she can relate to. So I'm going to plant a church in that area. Well, see, that's not a motivation. That's not part of the equation. We don't go where you want to go. You go where you need to go. You say it. You go where you need to go. You know, Brother Sonson, we'd like to send you to, uh, to Arizona. We need a church in Tucson. Oh, no, Montoya, I, 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 don't, I don't do heat very well. <laughs> well, for, well, neither did Jesus, but he, you know, you follow me? You, you go where you need to go, not where you what? Where you want to go. So we understand that we need to then be going to places where there's void of the gospel or void of fundamentalist churches where we really need a church in that area. It needs to be done. You know, the, the way some denominations grow is by splitting the churches. They fight, they just split the church. I was in Texas a number of years ago, and the guy took me and he says, within, within one mile he showed me five churches. Within one, he just took me in a car and we just did a little circle where they all split from one church to another. So five churches came from one church, and they were all, you could see the buildings from where I was at. What's that about? See, that is not, that is not how we do ministry, do ministry where we need to plant churches. Number four, look at number four. So we need a clear objective. We want to plant a fundamentalist church. It should be, it should be black and white. We are after a fundamentalist church. Well, you know, Montoya, no, we, I want to plant a, a, an expository church. I want to plant a church. And I want to plant a church that's kind of more seeker-sensitive. I say churches are like, you know, they're, you know they're, just not, they're just not what it should be. I want to have something that's more seeker-sensitive, more attractive, attractive approach of growth. 
And so they have a philosophy that is really anti, anti what we, what we talk about, what we're talking about at this convention. And down in the, in the core, are we after a, a, a church that is built from A to Z on, on the Word of God? That the Word of God is the, is the means of outreach and the Word of God is the means of retaining the people that come to our churches. And so it, it's something that needs to be clearly stated and the objective there, and, um, and openly accepted by, by the mission and also, also the church planter. It's, it's, gentlemen, it's a question of ethics. Ethics. Uh, we can be very unethical. Unethical. And so we need to practice ethics when it comes with our church planters and those that are involved in ministry. Are we really after planting a biblical church, a fundamental church? Are you committed to that? Or are you just saying it because you want to come in and then do your own thing later on? And so these are things that are basic as we understand the process of planting a fundamental church. Because if these things aren't in place, the end result is going to be not going to be what we want. If we start the wrong, we're going to end up with the wrong. We don't aim the right way, we're going to end up in the wrong place. And so these are like givens. It's sometimes we just don't think about these. We don't ask the right questions. Now notice number three, the third thing I'd like to discuss with us this morning is the process of church planting. The process of church planting. And this is the, uh, the fact that we, um, there, are, there are three, three objectives in planting the church. It needs to be self-governing. It needs to be self-propagating. It needs to be self-supporting. Every church planter is trying to accomplish these three objectives. To be self-governing means to have an established membership, an elected membership, an elected leadership. We're looking towards that. The church planter starts, but he wants to have, have it organized, have a membership that is identified as members of first Bible church of whatever. An elected leadership, the pastor, and a board of deacons or a board of elders or a combination of them and who are trained in doctrine and trained in duty. Secondly, it should be self-propagating. The goal of the church planner is to be able to have a church that is able to care for its own spiritual health and numerical growth. In other words, it's a vibrant, growing church. A church plant should be involved in having all that it needs to edify itself, put into place Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, that they are in, have in place the discipleship processes by which the church is going to grow. It is also able to establish uh, evangelism and processes by which they're winning others to Christ and they're growing so that the church is growing on a regular basis. We're adding to the number daily those that are being saved. That's why a church planter at, at, at max should spend 50% of his time uh, preparing and discipling and 50% of his time going out and talking to stone unbelievers, either door-to-door or marketplace or on the phone or whatever. He needs to be devoting himself that time to the unsaved because he's there to cause numerical growth. As soon as he gets going, he should start an evangelism program to train the people for them to get involved in evangelism. Because the whole issue is winning others to Christ. So self-propagating. And then thirdly, it is self-supporting. It is able to 
uh, pay for all its expenses and to raise its own funds. ASAP. You don't have forever. You know, you only have a window of maybe f- four to six years to get this thing done. And so we then have to disciple our people to be able to do that. We teach stewardship. We talk about financial principles. We we take offerings. We take offerings and and uh, and to pay. And then we we give an accountability. We teach our people. In our membership class, we have our members make these four commitments. You commit to doctrine. You commit to holiness. You commit to ministry. And you commit to giving. Those are the four things you commit. To become a member of First Fundamental Bible Church, you sign a, a, you sign a statement, an affirmation, that I'll be committed to the doctrines. I'll be committed to holiness. My life will reflect holiness in my life. I'm, I'm committed to ministry using my gift in ministry, and I'm committed to giving on a regular basis. If you don't commit to these five, why join? We don't need you. We don't need dead people. We need those that are committed to doing things that God wants us to do. And so these are the five elements. Now notice number four. And I want to just focus on that for the next few minutes. This is where the fundamentalist issue comes into play. That as you think about self-governing, your church constitution is, is important. This is the affirmation of the fundamentalist doctrines. There's where you, you spell them out, the things that your church is going to believe. You do this even before you start the church. You don't let the church decide, you decide. Your decision to start a fundamentalist church, you already know the doctrines. You know, that, you know, our churches, we're IFCA. We just slap the IFCA doctrine on our constitution. That's what we slap. Why reinvent the wheel? We just slap it on there, and that's what we are. And that's, that is, it is how we interpret the Bible. See, our statement of faith is saying, it's how we interpret the Bible concerning the deity of Christ. And they're non-negotiable. A guy comes and says, you know, Montoya, I want to debate the issue of cessationism. No debate here. There's a Pentecostal church down the street, go join that church. They don't have time to waste with you. Go ahead, go over there. We don't debate the issue. Now, if you're not sure, we'll talk about it. If you want to change a position, I'm sorry. I've got better things to do. You go down there. You see, in other words, it's how we interpret the Bible. State it out. Orthodoxy. By laws or orthopraxy. Orthopraxy. How you are going to run the church. Then you set up a system of government that's committed to fundamentalism. Committed to Scripture. Committed to the doctrines, that your leadership is on board, that every single elder, every single deacon is committed to the fundamentals of the doctrine. There's no waffling here. You don't have an elder say, well, you know, I'm an elder, I don't believe in cessationism, and I promise you I'll never, I'll never cause divisions. You can't have that. You can't have that. It's got to be blood committed to being a leader, an elder, a deacon that believes in the doctrines as you state them out. Then you select a pastor who's going to be part of this governing, self-governing, who's a fundamentalist by what? By conviction, by conviction. It's in his blood. It's in his blood. You know, and, and that's, and he's a fundamental, fundamentalist by ordination. He's ordained by, by a fundamentalist body of men committed to this doctrine. 
He's also one by association. Association. Gentlemen, who, what is your tribe? See, there are no solo lobos out there. The lone wolf is a dead wolf. And so you can't be, well, I'm just, uh, I'm just independent. No, you're not independent. You're not all there mentally is what you are, you know. Because <laughs> what is your tribe? See, and so a fundamentalist has a tribe. Well, I'm garb. Okay, that's your tribe. Well, I'm draw. I'm great brethren. You know, Winona Lake. Well, that's your tribe. In other words, you identify a fundamentalist tribe that you belong to. You can't be independent and not have a tribe. And so you want to find a man that's by association. And then you want to find a mission. The mission of the church is obvious. Promote fundamentalism. We're here to teach the word and, and present Christ. And have people come to Christ and we're going to do that. We're also going to do it through our programs. And we're going to be involved in promoting that. And then finally, my brothers and sisters, the, we, we want to find a, 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 a church that's going to be, have an association with fundamentalist organizations. Our, our arena of involvement is going to be fundamental churches. We're going to be that as a partner. We're going to be a, an official member. Uh, you're going to say this church is going to become an IFCA church. Mark it down. If you're going to be an IFCA church planner, mark it down. You're going to be an IFCA church when we get done with you. It's, it's, in, it's in the makings. You're going to be a participant, involvement in the regional, involvement in the activities of what's going to be done. So we encourage our church planners to be attending the regionals and be involved and even come to the nationals as, we, as you do many times. And then to promote Promote the schools, churches, associations that are affirming, affirming a fundamentalist position. And then as a, as a church planter, that, uh, that we are going to then plant, be planting churches here and abroad that are down at just fundamentalist churches. In other words, gentlemen and ladies, we need to plant churches with a purpose. Plant fundamentalist churches with a purpose. Not just hope, just hope. And I'll end with this, and I just want to challenge. Many of our missionaries, they go to the mission field, they plant churches, they come back. But the churches belong to nobody. They become Methodist, Episcopalian, they become something else. Because down deep inside, they were not rooted to become IFCA or fundamentalist churches. Happens locally well. Let's go ahead and, all of us here, plant a fundamentalist church over the next 10 years. <laughs> How does that sound? And we can see our our movement grow by leaps and bounds. Lord, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to be together. And we ask that you might allow us to serve you well. Give us wisdom, give us grace as we endeavor to plant churches. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.